I don't know whether you've ever had the experience of somebody buying you a present and you think, how on earth have you thought I would like that? Or maybe you've been with somebody and you've been completely surprised at what they've done and you thought to yourself, I don't really know them. I wonder how well you think you know me. I guess from videos like this and other things, perhaps in the life of our church or other things that uh, you see me in, you will have a perception about me. And if somebody said, oh, do you know Donald? You'd be able to say, oh, yes, I know Donald. But what does knowing Donald mean? Do you know, for example, what clothes I like? Well, maybe you have a perception or what food I like or what things I enjoy to, to watch. We'll all have an idea, but every now and then I'll probably completely surprise you and think, oh, why do you like that? Why do you eat that? Why don't you like that? The whole thing is really confused by the fact that I'm not even sure I know myself. And sometimes I think I know what I like, and then I discover that I don't know that at all, and I didn't like it. Is it really ever possible to know someone, truly know them, to understand absolutely everything about them? I guess I think it's not really that possible. But to some degree, we can know each other, and that uh, varies. What do we mean by knowing God? Do we mean that we know everything about him? Or is there still more to understand? Do we mean that we understand him? Or does it mean that we actually sense and feel him? Well, that's what I want to explore in this study. We're in John chapter 8, and Jesus has been speaking to a crowd of folks where he encouraged them to follow him and to see him as the, the light of the world. And that caused quite a lot of controversy. And they, they said, you know, who are you to be saying this? Who are you to say you're the light of the world? Particularly because they understood that the light of, of the world was a metaphor for God. And he talks about how he has the ability to know where he was going and where he was from. And that, that sense of identity that he had was one of the reasons why they should trust him. And then in our last talk, he talks about how they have the wrong way of judging people and deciding whether they could believe someone. And he says that they judge by human standards. And uh, we talked about the two forms of judging that there are. There is the building, uh, deciding who we're going to admire or trust. And that's necessary. We need that discernment. We need to try and work out whether a person is someone who we should allow to influence us or not. And then there is the judging where we reject and condemn people. And that's all in our last study as we looked at this discourse between Jesus and the crowd. And Jesus is still trying to get them to have the right judgment about himself. And so we pick it up at verse 17. He says, in your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. In other words, if one person said something, it wasn't necessarily reliable. But if you had a second person who confirmed it, then that would make it uh, more likely to be true. And he says, I am the one who testifies for myself. In other words, I'm the first witness. But my other witness, he says, is the Father who sent me. Father God in heaven. Now, that's a radical thing to be saying and uh, quite a controversial thing. And so they say to him, well, where is your father? 
Uh, were they really thinking he was talking about his physical dad or were they just trying to get him to admit that he was talking about God as his father? Well, in 19, at the end of verse 19, he says, you do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And I want to pick up on that last phrase for the rest of our study. But just to finish off this passage, he spoke these words we read in John 8.20, while he was teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. And we looked at that a number of times about what it meant that his hour had not yet come because that's a phrase that John uses on a number of occasions. So let's go back to this phrase. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Jesus is saying that to know Jesus is to know God the Father. Now, this isn't a new concept in John's gospel. Right at the beginning in John chapter 1, verse 18, and you'll find one of our studies on that. Uh, John, the, uh, the Baptist, uh, John the Apostle, who's writing the gospel, says, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who himself is God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Very powerful verse. No one has ever seen God, but Jesus, who was God, has made him known. So what we understand is that the Father God in heaven and the Jesus God on earth are one God. God in two forms, in two places. In Father in heaven and in human form on earth. Later on, we read in John 14, Jesus answered, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So this idea that Jesus and the Father are the one and the same, that whilst Jesus was on earth, the Father was still in heaven, but in terms of their essence, in terms of their being, in terms of their character, in terms of their personality, they are one. There is one God. The Old Testament makes that very, very clear. There is one God. What we discover in this radical new concept of the Trinity in the New Testament is that this God uh, has come to earth whilst remaining in heaven, Father and Son. Now, I want to ask three questions about knowing God. The first one is, what do we mean by knowing Jesus? How do we know Jesus? Because if we know Jesus, we know God. So how do we do that? What does that mean? How practically do we know Jesus? What do we have to do for us, you and I, 21 centuries later, to know Jesus? What can we do? And thirdly, what difference does it make that Jesus and the Father are one? What difference will that make to our understanding of knowing God? So, first question is this, what do we mean by knowing Jesus? Well, I think the concept of knowing Jesus has two elements. The first element is to understand Jesus. In other words, to be aware of who he was, what his character was like, what his nature was, to understand all about him. So to know Jesus is to understand as much as we are able about him. The second element of knowing Jesus is to be in relationship with him. Now, that's a little bit more complicated. What do we mean about being in relationship with Jesus? Well, I think 
in essence, I want to say it means to be changed by him. So if we're in relationship with someone, there has an impact upon our lives. And to be changed by his love, to have a sense of and to know his love, to have a sense of and to know his voice, to have a sense of and to know his leading, his guiding, his directing, and to have a sense of and to know his power. So on the one hand, to know Jesus is to understand what he was like and who he is. But secondly, to know Jesus is to be changed and sense and know and feel his love, to be changed by sensing and knowing and hearing his voice, his leading and his power within our lives. So our second question is, how do we know Jesus? Well, let's take the first element. How do we understand Jesus? Well, this is a crucial foundation. We cannot know Jesus in the sense of being in relationship with him until we understand him. In fact, we'll probably be in relationship with something other than Jesus if we go for this sort of um, spiritual thing without understanding the biblical Jesus. So this is a crucial foundation and we discover Jesus in Scripture. That's how we're able to test whether what it is we know is Jesus or whether it's some other spirit or form. So it's really important that we understand the Jesus in the New Testament, that we understand his context and all that he is about. Because when we know Jesus, we're going to know God. And so that's really, really important. So how do we know Jesus in the New Testament? How do we know and understand what was he like? Well, I, I'm going to just pull out just a few things to lob in your direction for you to ponder and reflect upon. As we read the Bible, as we read the New Testament, as we read John's Gospel, as we read and understand who Jesus was and we begin to uh, remember and take on board, we will discover a number of things. And here's just a few. You might have your own that you would add to this, but here's just a few. Firstly, that he was radically merciful that he was a friend of sinners, that he drew alongside the broken and the rejected. He drew alongside those who were sinful, those who were cheats, those who were liars. He drew alongside them and he transformed them by his mercy. The second thing to understand about Jesus is he was literally dying to save people. He longed to seek and to save the lost and to set them free. He longed and wanted to and was purposeful in dying as a sacrifice in place of those who would come to him in repentance. He is motivated and dying to save. He is wanting to find those who are lost, who are alienated, who are separated from God. He's wanting to find them and pull them back into relationship with him. We also recognize that he came to set people free to heal and deliver from all kinds of enslavements, whether physical or spiritual. He came to release. And he demands love towards others. He demands it that we who seek to know Jesus or follow him or claim any allegiance to him, the measure of that to be truthful is whether we love our neighbor and whether we love our enemy and whether we forgive those who have hurt us. 
So he demands love towards others. And Jesus is unexpectedly non-violent. Those who were waiting for the Messiah expected him to violently overthrow the occupying armies. And Jesus refutes and turns away from violence. He tells people to turn the other cheek to carry the pack of the Roman soldier. Now, if we understand these things about Jesus, we understand these things about God. That God is radically merciful. That he's longing to save us from our sin. That he's seeking us and searching for us and, and, and knocking on the door of our hearts, longing that we would let him in. That the power and desire of God is to set us free and to heal and to deliver us from all the evil that we experience. And to one day lead us fully into the full expression of that freedom healing and deliverance and that if we know Jesus we will know God and we will know his demand from us that we love his command to us to love one another that what he wants from humanity is that we love each other and if we know Jesus and if Jesus is correct in saying to know me is to know the father when, then we discover that God is radically non-violent which causes us to reinterpret our understanding of the Old Testament and the way sometimes it's been used to justify violence that is only the foundation because what we really then want to move on to is to be in relationship with Jesus and therefore in relationship with God how do we do that? How do we know Jesus today? How do we know God today in the sense of allowing him to speak into us and to change us? I want to suggest a number of things. The first thing we've already said, we need to understand his character. And the, we understand the character of God through the character of Jesus. If there's any doubt or question about that, if we go back into the Old Testament when uh, God is asked by Moses, who are you? What are you like? He says, I am gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And his description of himself in Exodus fits exactly with the description of Jesus. The second thing we need to do to know God is to understand the implications of choosing to follow him. And I unpacked all of that just a few studies ago when we looked at what it means to follow Jesus and to therefore live in the light. But if we're going to know God and, 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 be, and sense his presence, we have to understand what that means. It means that we are to love our neighbor. It means that he will call us to join with him in seeking the lost that they might be saved. So we need to understand the implications. Once we've understood the implications of being a disciple of Jesus, of seeking to know him, we need to humble ourselves and say, God, I'm not up to this. I'm not equipped. There's so much in my life that's wrong and needs you. And so the, the way of getting to know God is through the process of confession and repentance, of saying, Lord, I'm sorry. 
There is darkness in me. There is sin. There is self-centeredness. I have hurt other people. I have damaged your purpose for me and for others. I am not perfect. We can't know God in a state of pride, in a state of arrogance, in a state of self-sufficiency, in a state of saying, I am everything that God intended me to be. The Bible makes it very, very clear that the way into God's presence is through the humbling of oneself. It's through humility. It's saying, Lord, I am unworthy. I am weak. I am frail. And I come to you in my brokenness and I'm honest before you and I say, here I am and here are all the things I've got wrong. And the fourth stage of getting to know Jesus and therefore knowing God is to invite him into our lives. Is to say, Lord, come and fill me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. John uh, tells us later that Jesus says, I and the Father will come and live within you by our Spirit, by the Spirit. And so to know God is to invite him. Come into my life. Make yourself known to me. Reveal yourself to me. Jesus talks about seeking him. And when we seek him, saying, Lord, come and be with me. And that seeking then is expressed in spending time in God's presence. In reading the scriptures and allowing the Bible to speak to us, which I'll talk about in just a moment or two more. But telling God how we feel, being in conversation with him, talking about our hopes and our fears and our questions and our concerns and our joys and our thankfulness. And in prayer and uh, study of the Bible, just being, allowing ourselves the opportunity for God to begin to speak back. And I'll explain that in a moment or two more. Coupled with all of that, we get to know God in a place of worship, in a place of thanksgiving, of recognizing the greatness and majesty and awe and wonder and goodness of God and in a community of others and on our own, proclaiming that and something spiritual and supernatural happens in the presence of God comes among those who are worshiping him, who are thankful, who are praising him. And as we are in this relationship that we are beginning of looking at the Bible, of talking to God and of worshipping, then what happens is we begin to listen to the thoughts that are coming into our mind that are in line with the Bible that we've already grasped, with the implications and character of God that we've already learnt about. And we begin to discover and find that our self-worth is changed because we begin to recognize that he loves us. We begin to sense his love in our lives. We begin to feel different about who we are. We begin to be, feel more secure. We begin to know God's love. And peace begins to grow within Freedom from guilt, freedom from anxiety begins to develop. Now, that will develop at a different pace depending on where we start. If we start as incredibly anxious people with very low self-esteem, it'll be quite a long journey before we're fully able to know that we're loved. And sometimes peace takes a longer time for some of us than others. But all of us, when we spend time in prayer, scripture and worship, should begin to grow a bit in that area and know his love more than we did last year. And as we begin to listen to these thoughts 
and listen to the, the ideas that we're having about God's perception of us, we also begin to listen to the Bible as it comes alive, as it becomes significant where different scriptures begin to make uh, maybe the hair stand on the back of our head, neck or our heartbeat a little faster. We just feel, wow, that's really pertinent for me. That's really uh, alive for me. And we're knowing God through his word and it's beginning to direct us and shape us. And as we begin to do that, ideas begin to come to mind to do things differently or to act in some way in a situation, or to say these words, or to contact this person, or to apologize for this thing, or to get rid of that activity in our life, or to change that which we need to change. And God is beginning to speak. And we're knowing him now. We're in relationship with him, and he's changing us. We're measuring these thoughts against the Bible. But we're allowing ourselves to believe, yes, the God of creation can communicate with us. And we begin to see prayers answered and his power at work in our life because we're asking him for things and we're seeing it happen. So we are changed by his love, his voice, his leading and his power that comes out of the invitation and humility and repentance to come into our life that is then built into scripture, conversation, and worship. And the last question, what difference does it make that Jesus and the Father are one? Well, the first thing we've already talked about is that as we know Jesus, we know God. And therefore, we understand God's nature because we understand Jesus. And we understand his love for humanity because we understand Jesus. That as we understand why Jesus wants to die on the cross, and as we understand why he chooses to be born in a stable, and as we understand why he allows people to um, put a crown of thorns upon his head, so we understand God. And we understand his forgiveness and we understand his call and his purpose on our lives to join him with this fantastic mission of redemption. And it's really important that we see Jesus and the Father as one. And that we don't attribute different characteristics to them. Many of us have been scarred by our perceptions of Father God through our childhood perhaps and one of the most dangerous things is when we think well Jesus is kind and loving and forgiving but God the Father is awesome uh, is austere and fearful and violent and judgmental and sadly there are many within Christianity who have separated Jesus from the Father and almost have two gods, one good and one bad. And we rob ourselves of truly knowing God. So as we come to reflect, the first question is this, do we have different perceptions of Jesus and God as Father? 
Do we see them as separate? And how does this affect our love for God? Because if we have separated them, we won't be loving God with all our heart and all our soul because there'll be some unhelpful elements of mistrust and of resentment. So it's really important to grasp that if we know Jesus, we know God the Father. For Jesus is God and the Father is God and they are one together. In different places, in different forms, but one. And our second set of questions are this. How do we understand, how well do we understand Jesus? Have we grasped his character and his nature? Or are we still ignorant about who Jesus really was and what he was really like? And then following on from that, how well are we seeking to be changed by Jesus? How much are we allowing this knowledge of Jesus to move then into being in actual relationship with him and affecting our self-worth, affecting our actions and affecting our character? How well do we understand Jesus? How well are we seeking to be changed by him? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that as we see you in the Gospels, we see the totality of God. And as we know you, through your Holy Spirit, so we know the Father. Thank you that the nature that we see on the cross, in the stable, in the empty grave, is the nature of God. And we ask that we would get to know you better. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to sense and feel the prompts of your spirit within our mind, within our heart, nudging us to believe this, nudging us to do this, nudging us to change this. Lord, help us to know you, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to know a little bit more about knowing God, I did a devotional this week around the song, All I Once Held Dear. And again, I'm reflecting a little bit more on Philippians and Paul's ambition to know Christ. So you might be interested in looking at that.